Thanks for, uh, thanks for being here today. I'm excited to see all of you. Um, so many new faces around Eaglemont, and it's awesome and ex- exciting. So if I don't know you, please come and introduce yourself. If I've met you once, introduce yourself again, because I'm terrible with names and faces, and I'm really sorry. I feel bad all the time. Um, so my name's Brennan. I am the worship and young adults pastor here at Eaglemont, and I'll be preaching today. So this series that we are in, Uh, for the summer is called Learning How to Pray. I love this series. I'm excited to be in it and to be challenged as I grow and learn to pray. Prayer is just absolutely vital to, uh, to to the way of Jesus, and as with anything in the way of Jesus, we should be lifelong learners in it. Prayer is something you can do very easily, but it is also uh, something that you can grow in for the rest of your life. You know, and that's what we want to do through this series and what we want to do today. And we are doing that by going phrase by phrase through the Lord's Prayer, um, which is just the way Jesus taught how to pray in the Bible. We call it the Lord's Prayer. There are two versions of this prayer, one in Luke, uh, which is a bit shorter, and then one in Matthew, which is the one that we will be going through and studying. Uh, The one in Luke um, starts because Jesus' disciples ask Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And then Jesus responds and says, uh, when you pray, say this. Or in Matthew, he says, this then is how you should pray. So let's read uh, the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Okay, so today we we will be focusing in on the phrase, give us this day our daily bread. But first, um, let's just learn a little bit more about the whole of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, You might have heard some of these things in the last few weeks, so this might be repeat, but, you know, good to just have a whole understanding of the Lord's Prayer before we jump right into one of the middle verses. So just some things to have in mind. Right off the bat, um, notice, the, notice the, uh, the our and us pronouns, right? Jesus said, you know, our Father, give us, forgive us. Jesus is clearly emphasizing here community. He's emphasizing the body of believers that gather together in various ways to pray. Now, of course, Jesus isn't saying to only pray with people because four verses earlier, uh, Jesus said, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father in heaven, or to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's Matthew 6, 6. But in the Lord's Prayer, he's bringing to mind the fact that following Jesus is done in community. And even when we pray alone, we should absolutely, you know, pray for ourselves and our own lives, but we also need to be having in mind the whole community, your church family, the people you know in your life, the world, our city. It's all, um, it should all be in the scope of the Lord's Prayer. So following Jesus and our prayer life cannot survive in isolation. And that is what Jesus is teaching through these plural pronouns. And maybe some of us are good at the communal things, you know, gathering together and praying, um, but not as good at being alone with God. And maybe some of us are the opposite. So we need to hear both of those calls from Jesus to grow in prayer with others and to grow in prayer just ourselves with God. Second thing to be aware of uh, when reading the Lord's Prayer is that it's an outline. 
it, is, um, it doesn't say when you pray, say exactly this. He says, this then is how you should pray, or kind of what you should say along these lines. It is teaching us how to pray. Jesus is showing us how to pray in a way that our priorities um, come into line with the heart of God. So you can pray it word for word, and that is awesome, but I think what Jesus wants to teach us is to pray in this way. So implement this structure into your prayer life uh, with the central idea of your prayer being on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, so before we get to the verse that we're focusing on today, which is give us this day our daily bread, let's keep in mind the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Theologian N.T. Wright uh, said, the danger with the prayer for bread is that we get there too soon. We come to prayer aware of our urgent needs or at least wants, It's tempting to race through the Lord's Prayer as far as on earth as it is in heaven so that we can take a deep breath and say, now look here, when it comes to daily bread, there are some things I simply must have. And then off we go into a shopping list. To do this, of course, is to let greed get in the way of grace. So when we pray, it's important how we begin our time praying, how we begin our time with God. Jesus teaches that we need to start our prayers with coming into relationship with God, our Father, who is in heaven, who is in the reality that is is unseen, but all around us. He's not not far off, but he's closer than the air we breathe. And then we we pray by by praising him. You know, hallowed be your name. Um, Hallowed is, of course, not a normal English word. I don't think I've ever heard anyone use that um, outside of this prayer. But there's sort of some layers to it, which is why it's translated to hallowed. It's, it's, um, it's meaning, one, is for God's name, his name representing you know, who he is and his character and his nature, for God's name to be made holy here on earth and, and sacred and treated with honor. And um, then there's also this layer of asking to asking God to include us in his holiness and in that goodness and therefore make us holy as well. May his name be hallowed in our lives. May his name be holy in the way that we act and live our lives. And then it also, along those lines, is kind of the call to ask God to change or get rid of the things in my life that don't bring you glory. So there's kind of some layers to hallowed. Um, so we, but we, begin, we begin by praising God. Okay, and then we get to your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the prayer continues and it's, you know, God, may your kingdom grow here on earth. Bring justice to the poor and the broken. Bring peace and joy to the mental health crisis. Bring love where there's hate. Bring selflessness where there's selfishness and pride. Bring healing to the sick. Bring the message of Jesus, the message of your gospel to people so they can hear the good news. Bring new life to people who are lost and broken by sin. Your kingdom come, your will be done. There are so many things we can pray under that headline, you know, um, and all that is done, though, when Jesus is raised up as king over our lives and on earth. So that's kind of what we're praying for before we get to daily bread. So after halfway through the Lord's Prayer, the focus shifts from God, you know, praising him, his will, his kingdom. And then it shifts to us, our needs, our relationship with him. Notice what Jesus is teaching by that. He is saying, start with God. Then 
once we have come before God, knowing he's our father, giving him honor and praise and praying for his kingdom, it is then that we are in the right mindset to ask God for the things we need. We just get, naturally, you know, we just get so involved in our own lives that prayer can just become us asking God for things. Or we only pray when we need something. And that is not what prayer should be like. But at the same time, those aren't bad things. God cares deeply about our needs and our lives. And he's a loving father who wants you to ask. He wants to answer your prayers. So, now let's explore and learn what it means to pray for daily bread. Uh, what is great about this line is that it's in the middle of these big concepts of you know, God being glorified, his kingdom, his will, and then afterwards, forgiveness um, from God and for others and being made holy. It's, and within all of those is just our daily bread. In the middle of all that, Jesus does not ignore the simple day-to-day needs of the people that follow him. Jesus does not ignore um, you know, what it is to be human. Jesus knows what it is to be human. He knows what it is to suffer. We serve a God that not only can empathize with our pain, but we serve a God that entered into that pain and experienced it for us. And he's with us now in our pain, in our suffering, or just in our daily needs. He does not ignore the struggle of what it means to be human. He cares very deeply about that, about us. So give us this day our daily bread. Like many things in the Bible, there are layered meanings and metaphors here. On the first level is bread for food. Of course, pretty basic. I think we could put that together. Bread is food. Jesus did not ignore the fact that we need God's provision to eat and to live. Twice in the Gospels, there's a, there's a story of Jesus miraculously uh, providing food for thousands of people. Daily bread represents what we need to live. And that is the main, that's kind of the main straightforward meaning here. And for some of us, this might be a, a beautiful line of prayer because we know how dependent we are on God and we've experienced God's provision for us when we've needed it the most. But for some of us, and if I were to guess, maybe most of us, uh, this may feel like, as James Emery White points out, like the blandest prayer, blandest line in the Lord's Prayer. Because for the most part, most people are, I think, doing fairly well. You know, we have, we have a job, we have a car, place to live, healthcare, doctors, maybe have a retirement fund going, we have access to clean water, uh, and then even if we are struggling in our country, there's programs uh, to help, you know, homeless shelters, places to get food or financial help. Um, you know, it feels like maybe, God, I think we're okay on the bread aspect. Not to ignore anyone or, you know, belittle anyone's struggle um, or anyone who is struggling with those basic needs. But I'm just thinking, generally, most people, I think we live pretty comfortable lives. And all that stuff is good. None of that stuff is bad. It's awesome that we have food, that we have jobs, that we have clean water and things to survive. It's amazing things. But then, how do we pray this prayer? James Emery White, in his book, The Prayer That God Longs For, says this, The meaning of the word Jesus used when instructing us to pray for our daily bread, epiosius, is literally bread for tomorrow. 
Jesus spoke these words in a culture where laborers were usually hired on a daily basis, and basic food, such as bread, could not be preserved. The daily dependence for life's most foundational needs was keenly felt. More than we do today, they understood that getting their daily bread was a matter of prayer. Which is why today, the blandest line in the Lord's Prayer may very well be for our daily needs. The greatest miracles, the most incredible blessings were often tied to daily provision. Now they are taken for granted. They only become items of prayer when taken away, and we realize that no other prayer is of greater importance to us. Now, over the pandemic, maybe some of us have lost our jobs or or been unable to work, and maybe you feel this prayer a little bit more now than you used to. But again, I think for the most part, most of us, we don't feel the need to pray for daily bread. But here is where I think we need to change how we view this prayer. You know, by Jesus teaching his disciples to pray this prayer, he was teaching us that our daily provisions come from God, whether through a miracle or whether that is just our ability to work and earn money and food. Money, food, our jobs, and our very lives, it all comes from God's hand. The fact that we live in a country where there's lots of jobs, opportunities, um, you know, where we can work or even where there are food programs to help the poor. All that comes from God. This is his world. Even, you know, the human rights that Western society is built on, trace that back, it comes from the Bible and from the way of Jesus. God has given us this life and every blessing that comes from it. And if we can learn to view it this way, it would just, that is what we should be doing as Christ followers. Think about, think of the impact that that would have if every Christian viewed their money and their lives as not their own, but a gift from God. Then the question becomes, God, how do I use what you've given me for good? Instead of thinking, this is mine, I've earned it, I'm going to do what I want with it. Everything we have is a gift from God. So when you pray through the Lord's Prayer, using Jesus' words there, if you follow him, when you pray, when you pray, give us today our daily bread. When you pray for daily provision, for daily needs, pray that God will continue to provide. You You can pray that. Even if you're comfortable, just pray for that continual provision. And then thank God every time, every day for what he has provided for his continual provision, for food, for water, for clothing, for shelter from the cold, for work, realizing that it all comes from God's hand. When we pray for daily bread um, and we already have our needs met, it's an opportunity then to thank God, to praise him, to grow in, in gratitude, especially for the things that we take for granted so much of our lives. Ronald Rollheiser said, To be a saint is to be fueled by gratitude, nothing more and nothing less. If if we have our needs met and we pray through the Lord's Prayer, it is an opportunity to grow in gratitude every day, and that is so valuable for those who follow Jesus. Well, and for everyone. (laughs) But it it is definitely something Jesus taught and wants us to grow in. So the first basic understanding of daily bread is just, you know, our basic survival needs. The other layer that we could kind of tie in is spiritual food. Because Jesus calls himself the bread of life. Meaning he provides what we need for the new 
life, for the spiritual life in Jesus. When we pray for daily bread, we can certainly also pray for God's provision in our spiritual walks, in our walk with him. You know, help us to become more like Jesus today. Give me the strength and guidance through the Holy Spirit to become like Jesus and therefore show your love to the people in my life. We can pray that as we pray through this. And there's another layer that I, we don't really have time to get to, but bread, there's all, the, all these themes in the Bible that are constantly linked in. So when Jesus talks about bread, when you read that, you know, after his death and resurrection, you have this idea of what we call communion, what we just took, um, the Lord's Supper. N.T. Wright points out this connection, and uh, I found it very interesting, but that would be a long kind of side note to explain that significance and everything there, but there is that other theme, that layer of um, the Lord's Prayer, or sorry, the Lord's Supper. But I'll save that for another sermon. Uh, those, so th- those are the main meanings that we can draw from when Jesus says daily bread. So we can think about physical needs and spiritual needs. Um, those are the main ideas here. But I want to open up this discussion um, past just talking about daily provision, food, water, shelter. Let's add to the discussion everything that we ask God for. We are called to come before God and ask God for things. You know, answer, answers to our question guidance for the next steps in our life, comfort for the worries in our lives, healing for others and for ourselves, uh, miracles for people to come to know Jesus. And of course, the list goes on and on, all the things that we can ask God for and all the things that we're told to pray for. Again, the Lord's Prayer is an outline. So under daily bread, we're called to approach God and pray um, for our provision, for our needs, and for the wants. And I include wants not like, I really want a nice car, I want to win the lottery, or uh, many of you probably like me, I want to be Connor McDavid's best friend. Uh, But praying for something that you want on earth as it is in heaven. Whether we classify it as a need or a want, some of those are maybe gray areas, we are called to pray for the things that are in line with the heart of God and the name of Jesus. And big or small, we're called to bring all requests to God. And just like a good father, he cares about all of it, about the little things and the big things. He cares about it all. Prayer was central to the life of Jesus, and we are his followers. So we follow what Jesus did. And he tells us to pray and ask for God for the things that we need, and he will answer them. John 15, 7, said, uh, Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That is an amazing promise. But I think many of us find that hard to believe. You know, our first reaction to verses like this is to maybe doubt it or go, well, yeah, but, or, you know, or think about the times when our prayers went unanswered. And that is something we need to face, and we'll come back to unanswered prayers uh, shortly. But first, I want us to look at this idea that our, our prayers actually have power. They actually change the world around us. Our prayers actually influence what God does. Now, just me saying that might sound weird, might sound wrong, or make you uncomfortable, Because what has entered into the subconscious of the Western church is this idea that we cannot affect God. 
everything will play out the way it is going to play out and God is going to do what he has always planned to do and we have no part in influencing the future. Therefore, we have no faith in our prayers or our prayers feel empty or, or, or we don't, just don't pray at all. The idea of God, this idea of God, is not biblical. Jesus calls us into a relationship with God. Our Father, who hears us and responds to our prayers. A real relationship. Now, this can bring up an, uh, you know, a very complex um, theological and philosophical issue that I don't have the answers for, and I'm not going to try to explain the complexities of God's will and God's omniscience and our free will and how it all fits together. I don't know. But what I do know is that Jesus teaches us to pray to a God who listens and responds. Not a God that cannot change what he will do. Not a God that set the world into motion and then no longer interferes. But a God that responds to us. A God that listens when we pray. The most famous example uh, is probably Exodus 32, where Moses prays and pleads with God to not destroy the Israelites after they completely turned from God. And God listens. And it says God relented, actually changing what he was going to do. Jesus is not lying when he says, ask and you shall receive. Asking is an essential part of that statement. We must ask before God will move. Dallas Willard uh, writes, God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend that he is answering our prayers when he is only doing what he was going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not or does not do. The idea that everything will happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. Richard Foster, if, uh, if you heard me speak last couple times, I think I mentioned his book, Celebration of Discipline. Uh, he said, we are not locked into a preset determinist future. Ours is an open, not closed universe. We are co-laborers with God as the Apostle Paul put it. Working with God to determine the outcome of events. Therefore, our prayer efforts are a genuine give and take, a true dialogue with God. God really responds when we pray, which means that our prayers actually matter. And they matter so much more than I think we can comprehend. Which means we also have a responsibility. Uh, Richard Foster refers to Paul saying we are co-laborers with God. That comes from 1 Corinthians 3, 9. And that is, to me, one of the great mysteries of the world and our relationship with God. God partners with humans to bring about his kingdom on earth. God doesn't force himself on humanity, but he made us to represent him on earth, to be his image bearers on earth, and he waits for us to pray before he moves. John Wesley said, God will do nothing on earth except in answering to a believing prayer. God has chosen to partner with us. He has chosen to work by responding to our prayers. So without prayers, God will not move if his people don't pray. We need to remember that prayer is an incredible blessing. To be able to present your request to God and he actually listens and responds, like that is crazy and that, that's amazing. But it is also then a heavy responsibility that we need to take more seriously. 
you know, we, you know, we love to see results. Uh, you know, sometimes I think we need to give that up in prayer because some results are unseen. <clears throat> um, it is an act of faith and humility to pray. Some of us, myself included, are... Sorry, some of us, myself included, are more focused on what we can do rather than on what God can do. You know, trying to bring the kingdom of God ourselves. And we neglect prayer that has the real power. Again, hear that John Wesley quote, a man who took prayer very seriously. He said, God will do nothing on earth except in answering, except in answer to believing prayer. Why? I don't know. Again, it's a mystery. God could get a lot more done here on earth without us asking. But he has chosen to allow us to work with him, to bring his kingdom here on earth. He has chosen to not force himself on this earth, but to wait until we ask. He has chosen to be in relationship with us. And so he works with us to fulfill his purposes and his will. God works more when we are humbled and when he is glorified. And that is what prayer is all about. And God will do more work through our prayers than anything we can do with our own effort. Of course, we're still called to do good works, and there's, some, there's a balance there somewhere, but I don't think I know one person where I'd be like, oh man, they pray way too much, and they don't do enough work. <laughs> you know, I, I, think, I, think, um, I think all of us can go towards more prayer. Now, just a quick note on unanswered prayers. Um, I'm sorry that I don't have time to get deeper into this. The, the topic of unanswered prayer should really be its own sermon to do it any justice, but just a, just a couple things for those who, who maybe struggle with this when you pray. Uh, Pastor Daryl Johnson, who I'll talk about again shortly actually, said that there's no such thing as unanswered prayer. He said it's an, it's an oxymoron. God answers, but some answers we just don't like or un- unacceptable to us. But God answers, Yes, no, or not yet. The yeses are amazing and amazing miracles and blessings, but the no's and the not yet's can hurt or be confusing or, you know, just cause us to be angry. So how do we understand those prayers that feel unanswered when Jesus tells us, ask and you shall receive? Well, first, uh, we need to understand that we are still in a broken world, right? There, there will be pain and suffering, there's this tension because we, are, we have a broken world, but because of what Jesus did, we have the kingdom of God invading earth. Theologians call this the already not yet. God's kingdom is here, but just not fully. There is tension of when, you know, Jesus gave us access to the kingdom of heaven, access uh, to God, but not in full. Even the most holy person, even the person with the greatest faith and prayer life will still go through times of suffering. They will still lose people they love and they'll still die. All all things opposite of the way of heaven, but all things that are just part of the reality of earth. Heaven has not fully come to earth. The world is still broken, so that leaves some prayers to us unanswered. There are other reasons for for prayers that we feel are unanswered. It could be, you know, the Bible tells us a lack of faith. Uh, It could be because we let sin into our life that is cutting off our relationship with God or getting in between us. Uh, Of course, we could sometimes ask for the wrong motives or ask for the wrong things. Um, We ask for things that aren't in line with the way of Jesus. 
or we have just not prayed enough. And God is calling us to continually depend on him and just lean more into him, into his presence. So also God, you know, may answer your prayer with a no or not yet because he has something better for you. We don't see the big picture in the moment, but he does. Or, you know, uh, because maybe, even though probably we won't like it, because what we are going through, if it's hard, even though it may be hard and difficult, it may ultimately be what is best for us. Yes, pain and suffering are not what God wants for us, but we are also broken people that are, need to be made whole and need to be formed into people like Jesus. And that is God's first concern. He's more concerned with that over our comfort. And hardships are usually the way that we grow the most and the times when we draw closer to God. But even still, even still through all that, through prayers that, that God says no or not yet, we are still called and taught by Jesus to approach God with faith, to approach God with confidence, and to believe that he is able, and that our prayers are being answered. So do not give up hope. The times where, where you feel far from God or where you feel like he is silent, those times will come to an end. If you, just, you can just keep pushing through. I just want to encourage you, for people who are, who are in the storm, who are in rough times. I just want to encourage you, keep pushing through. He will bring you through it. Don't stop praying. God is with you. Um, just to kind of wind down, I just, um, I just want to encourage you. If, if there's one thing, you know, that, that if you would leave here today just thinking, I need to pray more, that is what God wants for us. So, um, you know, Years ago, I was listening to a podcast, and I can't remember who it was, but it was a church leader interviewing this pastor who had seen significant growth in his church, and uh, he was uh, in the church he was leading, and he had just a heart for church revival, right? He said, he said um, that when he was hired on, he started reading up on a bunch of church revivals of recent history, revivals where it's this incredible move of God, where tons of people start coming to Jesus, and, you know, whole cities or regions or countries are just completely changed and because of this move of God. And he was reading this book about church revivals to try and learn, you know, how and why do these happen? Um, and he said he, does, he didn't need to finish the book because it was very clear. Church revivals, great moves of God, great, uh, yeah, great workings of God only happen and begin through the church making prayer their first priority. And that has still stuck with me. That was a few years ago. And, you know, I... I we as pastors just want that for this church, and I know many of you want that for this church as well. We want to see God do amazing things, and that begins with prayer, the prayer of his people. And I just can't even imagine what that would be like if our church was marked by prayer. What would God do if we actually just all humbled ourselves and took the time to ask him? You know, what would our families look like? What would Eaglemont look like? What would Beaumont look like? if we were a church marked by prayer, if every day we learn to pray more and more like Jesus taught in our time alone with God and our time with others. You know, what would God do if there were 200 of us at the prayer encounters every month instead of a smaller group we have? What kind of miracles would we see? How many more people would come to know Jesus? How would God change and shape this church and this city? I don't know but I'd, I'd love to find out. 
And none of that is meant to shame anyone. Please don't take it that way. Trust me, I need to grow in my own prayer life. These are just questions I was asking myself, and I think we should ask ourselves. God, again, again and again, promises that he will move through the prayers of his people. And we are missing out on so many of his promises, missing out on so much of what God wants to do because we never take the time to earnestly ask. And a side note, thank you to all the people in this body that prioritize prayer and over the years have just lifted this church up with prayer. We don't, they've just done so much good in the things that we can't see. Your humility and your passion for, for prayer has inspired and encouraged me. So I just want to say thank you for that. So just to end today, I just want to go over a couple things. So sorry, I didn't have a lot of practical instruction in this sermon. So just some quick fire tips. If you want to commit to praying more, first, pray daily. When you wake up or before you go to bed or in the middle of your day, you know, bring your focus back to God each day of our lives or do all three if you're ready to do that and, and live out the call in Thessalonians, which says pray without ceasing, meaning always be in communication with God, what we would call abiding in Jesus, you know, living with God at the forefront of your minds. But whatever you do, pray daily, just make it a habit and it will change you and the people around you, and it will change the world. You know, the most important things in our life we need to set up as good habits, not just like, oh, I'll do that when I think about it. Set it up as a habit. Put reminders on your phone, have someone to keep you accountable, whatever it is. Set it up as a habit so it doesn't get pushed aside by our busy lives and the things that aren't as important. Next, start where you're at. If you're new to Christianity, or if you've been a Christian for your whole life and you just haven't really got into prayer, um, start where you're at. Start with two minutes praying the outline of the Lord's Prayer. That's awesome. Then grow from there. If you already pray that, uh, then, you know, find some more time. Maybe cut out a little bit of TV or whatever and find more time to pray and just grow in that. Maybe you can read a book on prayer and there's different practices, there's different ways to pray, there's different ways to connect with God in that. Next, ask for more faith. It can be hard to believe that God is listening or that he will work a miracle that we need, but pray and ask God for more faith. One of the most relatable verses to me in the Bible is when someone asks Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Ask God for more and more faith and we'll start to pray bigger and bigger prayers and grow in boldness and confidence in the goodness of God and we will see God do more and more things in our lives. And then gather together. Pray in your families, pray with some Christian friends. Uh, we have pre-service prayer every Sunday at 940 in that corner of the gym. Come to that. Come to prayer encounters and lift up your needs and be there to pray for other people as well. Our church and our community um, need your prayers because your prayers matter and they have power and God will not move in the same way without you there, without you praying. So I hope you leave here today with just a deeper awareness of our, of our need for prayer, for our own lives and for our world, for the people around us. All I want is, is for us to leave today thinking, I need to pray more. And to truly believe that God hears us and that our prayers change the world. Now, to help with that, I hope, 
Um, I just want to show you a video clip just to end today, uh, taken from a podcast episode about the Lord's Prayer. It's an interview with this man, Daryl Johnson. He's a wonderful, godly man in his 80s. He is an author, pastor for most of his career, college professor, and someone that has impacted just so many people. He is uh, based out of Vancouver, and uh, he's someone who just has an incredible heart for God and for the church and for the next generation. I've heard him speak a couple times, uh, talk, to, uh, talk to people who know him and, and people that have been pastored by him, and he just has that presence that people are drawn to him, and he reflects he just has this, this peace and joy and, and love, and he reflects Jesus so clearly. So he is just someone that I, I want to be like. And he's written a book on the Lord's Prayer. He's written book, uh, uh, books on Revelation, which at the end of this podcast episode that is about the Lord's Prayer, he talks about Revelation, which is why I say that. You know, he is someone that has lived his life in the Word of God and in prayer, and he can communicate the impact of prayer um, more than I can at this point in my life. And that is what I want you to leave with today, just a greater understanding of how important prayer is. The podcast episode is called 57 Words That Changed the World, and I encourage you to listen to that. But right now, to close out, uh, just open your heart to what Pastor Daryl Johnson has to say. In Revelation 6, 7, and 8, there's a picture of the lamb holding a scroll. It's written on the inside and the outside. And it's sealed with seven seals. And one by one, the lamb breaks the seals. In each of the seven seals, somebody prays. Hmm. And I think that what's being revealed there is that what moves history is the prayer of God's people. So the seventh seal... 30 minutes of silence, and all the prayers of the saints are brought up, gathered up before the presence of God. It's a way of saying that, uh, yes, uh, politicians move history, and they make their decisions. Business people do. Pastors do. Moms and dads do. Our actions move history. But in the mystery of things, the driving force of history is the prayers of the people of God, the prayers of people praying at the points of pain. Yes. So that'd be, prayer is, we, we just don't realize how much um, uh, impact our simple praying has on the world. Wow. Um, I have a picture of, of heaven, and in heaven, all the great leaders of the, there's going to be a parade. Mm -hmm. uh, and all the great leaders of the world are brought up to Jesus and then all the great business leaders of the world and all the scientists and all the philosophers and some of the professional athletes, etc. And, and then maybe I and you and others were, were brought into this, were brought in this big parade. And at the end are all these grandmothers. And as they come, the entire universe stands up mm. and applauds them because those grandmothers who in their thinking they had nothing to contribute to the world, prayed for their families and their neighbors and their pastors and their churches. They're the ones who moved history.